Greetings, dear listener. This is Ian McKenzie. The following is a conversation recap for our Pandemic is a Prism series, where Zamir and I harvest our reflections after each session. It is recommended you listen first to the full episode with the guest, and then come here afterward. Enjoy. Welcome back. Welcome back. I am Ian McKenzie, co-host of this series, The Pandemic is a Prism, and I'm joined by... Zamir, good to be here with all of you. Uh, mm. it's, uh, I've been quite a journey that we had, and especially a doozy with Stephen Jenkinson. Mm. Indeed, we are uh, probably 24 hours or a little over 24 hours since the conversation that we had with Stephen. And uh, I mean, some amazing comments have come in. Um, actually, I, I mean, if I could find one, I might read one in a moment. But um, I think both of us agreed that we left pretty stunned and... and uh, and stirred by by what transpired, um, and the point of these recaps, of which we've also done for the first conversation with Charles Eisenstein and then Elizabeth Sartoris, and now with Stephen, is to offer a little bit about you know what's yeah what's alive for us in the wake of the conversation, and also a place for you to even ask you know comments or add your reflections in the comments here, and perhaps we could riff a little bit on them. Uh, this particular series is only about a half hour. We want to keep it nice and lean, but. Um, yeah, just to provide an opportunity to be like, whoa, what was that? There was definitely a bit of that. The word that came to me was undone. And, and mm-hmm. I saw someone had written in their kind of uh, feedback, the, the feeling of being undone. And, and what a beautiful thing it is to be in this place where you are undone, mm-hmm. you know, where the, the certainties that had held uh, your, your precious understanding of things kind of get frayed. And as a result of that, they get loosened. And at first there's a, ah, but then a, a relaxing into that loosening is such a wonderful mm-hmm. feeling. And it's given me a, a renewed sense of freedom uh, since the talk, the freedom to be uncertain. And, and we'll talk about it. Mm, beautiful. Well, maybe I could then actually, because I have it here, because um, it does represent, I think, just a really great uh, nugget of uh, one, one listener uh, who wrote a comment after she said, um, powerful conversation. Stephen was really on fire. I think it was too. Yeah. Uh, I'm left with a quiet undoing that gives me pause to examine all of my own heightened prejudices and perhaps consider that I truly don't know what the F is going on. What a monstrous possibility that is. Thank you for this one. It was truly confounding and utterly disfiguring. That's pretty good feedback, I'd say. Um, Well, how about this then? We'll, uh, We'll play a little clip from the conversation we had. And just to say, too, as Zamir and I were chatting about, you know, what what clip to pull, it became quickly pretty impossible to actually figure out which one because there's so many, so many elements that we could. And I mean, how to choose because it was such a rich conversation. Um, also, Steve tends to respond in 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 lengthy, you know, wonderings, um, which are beautiful. It just means it's really hard to get that little tiny soundbite. So what we'll do is we'll play a little clip here and I'll cut it off a bit early just to, you know, with an eye to the time, just to give a sense, though, of, uh, of how the conversation went. Shall we? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I'm not persuaded that stories is the best way to account for what's going on. In other words, I wouldn't blame stories mm. for, the, for the, the debris along the highway of the 21st century at mm. all. Mm. Stories don't argue they, they, have no, they have no skin in the game, hmm. right? They are their own prevalence. 
So this is the beautiful thing about, uh, this is why you can remember a story in a way you can't remember an hypothesis or an mm -hmm. argument or a line of inquiry. I mean, if you really commit yourself to it, you can remember it. If it happens to come from you, maybe you can remember it. But there's something about stories, and we all know this intuitively, that they, they virtually tell themselves, if you lend any part of your scrutiny or give a shit or, or um, willingness to attend to things, to them, right? And it doesn't matter that you can't find the beginning. You begin instead. That's what storytelling is. And the best storytelling goes like this. <laughs> do you want a gifted storyteller to tell you a story? Yes, I do. Then you begin to tell a story very badly. <laughs> and the gifted storyteller will not be able to sit by the sidelines and endure the, the mauling of the story that you're perpetrating. Right? And so with some, usually with some grace, hopefully, the storyteller will gently intervene and suggest it actually goes something like this and and everybody looks at each other satisfied that the subterfuge actually worked and the master is finally at work right mm. yeah. felt like a good moment just to just to leave it there uh that particular riff was actually on uh, responding to the question that i brought to what what were or how to understand the different stories that were jostling for for you know supremacy in these times and uh his response led to after that as well a recognition that to differentiate between what is a story and actually what is an argument and that there's a lot of arguments being put forth, but actually very few stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, what, what's interesting in, in the way that I noticed even how he responded is that he, uh, he kind of threw your question, he throws your question back at you or he mm -hmm. kind of throws it back upon yourself. And I think it's so important to have that done. And I really, I appreciated it. You know, and there's a there's a there's a quality where it, there's a trickster too, and I felt that there's there's certain people. I remember the first time I sat in front of Dr. Gabor Mate and experienced um, him working with me. Uh, it it was also an undoing. You know, I, I remember almost this sense of when when he was there doing his work like uh, those Tibetan Tanka paintings of a, of a fierce deity with a sword in its hand. That's just sort of like uh, cutting through. Right. And uh, that's, that's something that, that, that eldership can provide. And, and I was grateful for that in this conversation. Yeah. Thank you for that. I mean, you know, as I look back to from my notes of the conversation, which spanned a full hour and a half, uh, you know, I, I just, I mean, it's very similar actually when I sit in on a teaching with Steve that I just have all these notes and they're in some ways distillations of a particular um, inquiry or journey we'd taken. But then, you know, as I look back later too, I'm like, wait, what, what was that about? Or, you know, how did that link to what the thing is? And there's is a peculiar quality of yeah, being undone in the presence of such a wondering. And then later on, you know, trying to retrieve the threads to be, to really, to kind of grasp like, wait, you know, the, the lucidity that was there in that moment oftentimes feels it evaporates. Um, yeah. And in some ways, yeah, I think, I think it, cause it resists a kind of prescriptive, okay, well then now, I'll, now I should do this. You're saying, of course. And yeah, he, he, a few times, right. Kind of rebuffed you on that. Well, like you said, if it was a clear line of argument, it would be hard to remember in, in a way too, you know, like, you know, what's interesting that in the undoing part is, um, I, 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 I felt a, a, a new doorway open, as I said earlier, which is to be uncertain about, 
what is happening right now. That there is a clamoring need in the human population, in the human mind for certainty. And we, we foist that upon our political leaders and public servants who need to present the image of certainty because if they don't present the image of certainty, it means that we don't know, or we can't, we can't control. And uh, that even on, the, on both sides, if we look at whether it's the, the, the pro-vaccine or the anti-vax, there's, you can see on either pole, as he says, there's a strong prejudice for certainty and that those two poles get close to each other as a result. And it's that same rigidness that doesn't allow us to be with the humility of saying, well, we don't know. Okay, we're in this pandemic. There's a whole range of ways in which we could respond to this mm. and navigate our way through fundamental questions that arise. To do that wholeheartedly, which is what he says to do the spirit work of the moment of our generation, is to be willing to be in the discomfort of uncertainty, mm. to proceed as if one doesn't know. as something that you've spoken about a lot in your work and so much of how you're led as well. Mm. I mean, I, you know, I hear actually in the sort of the back of my mind as well, like, so how does this intersect with trying to set public policy, right, or health, health policy? Um, because like you said, I mean, people in positions of um, uh, institutions that are charged in a way by the need to, you know, make decisions to support the health and the well-being of the populace. Um, to sit in the uncertainty and say, "Well, actually, we don't know." Uh, you know, it likely would get them fired pretty quick, um, or or kicked out of office. You know, for a politician, um, because that's so much of what we ask of them. I think, and this makes me think as well. These, this... I, I just want to interject quickly, which is the, the 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 problem that it generates is that the shame of not knowing or the cost of not knowing means that you have to pretend that you do. Mm. And then you have to act as if you do and lie as if you do. So there are things that are known and you can take informed action with the best of what you know right now, but also be able to say like, well, we have no idea. Mm. But this, this is interesting because again, like a politician, right? But a politician that would stand up there and said, actually, you know, we have no idea. They'd probably get removed pretty quick or, or you know, the, the opposite political side would say, oh, look at this buffoon. They don't know what they're doing. Um, so it's this sort of bind. I can, I'm just saying, I, I see the, the paradox there. Yeah. I mean, for me as well, though, I think what's at play is this, I mean, it might be, I can't remember if we touched on it with either Charles or Elizabeth, but, um, there's the sense that, you know, we have a population that is, um, seeking that kind of, uh, affirming or, or confirmation or safety right from, uh, from the leadership which it's not a stretch to actually understand it to be as fundamentally parental, right? It's an inner structure of seeking parental, uh, to parental guidance or parental certainty. And, you know, this, there's more about this that, you know, I've touched on in my podcast, The Mythic Masculine, and we'll probably get into in some with our later guests, but that there is a consequence to, for example, the, the lack of true cultural, um, uh, a true cultural fabric where, for example, I touched on it with Steve, though I said, you know, I, I would under, I would imagine a village, an intact village, would look to the elders in these times of, you know, wild uncertainty and say, well, what, you know, what do we do? And and that they would be charged to hold some kind of line to, okay, what does life need from us? What is life asking of us? And in the absence of that, um, and, and in some sense, it's closer to a grandparent function, right? But elder is still not a grandparent. It's a, it's something else entirely. It's what Stephen said is is a function. An elder is a function, not an identity. Yes. And so in the, in the absence of that, 
what we do have is a population that seeks parental sense of security from the state, from the leadership of the state, um, which itself is very problematic, obviously, because um, in some ways it's, it obscures exactly the, its capacity to be uncertain. It obscures the truth that actually there is no safety, right? Like Steve said, you know, right at the end there, he said, you know, important safety announcement is that there is none. Um, and so these are hard things that actually to come from, as, as you know, uh, or as you might think of your parents or, you know, I have a child that they're looking for this certainty. For, that is the parental function in a way is to be certain, right, to their kids, or at least that's what it's become. Um, and to not be creates, uh, seems to be even more anxiety or more of a sense like, oh, is everything okay? And so it's this undercurrent that's at play as well of this, the seeking of, you know, parental certainty that is, again, it's obscuring our capacity to be uncertain, to be, I think you called it uh, sort of skillfully uh, ambivalent or something along those lines. I like that, skillfully ambivalent. Uh, it, it, what you're saying brings up a, a thought I had today. I've been, uh, in this parent metaphor, I've been researching this um, uh, concept called counterwill. It's mm -hmm. used in psychotherapy. And this teacher, Gordon Neufeld, has beautiful understanding of it. And he says that, you know, the purpose of counterwill, it's, it's, it's installed in us by evolution, which is to resist any attempts of coercion against our will from someone that we're not actually attached to. So, you know, for example, you know, it's actually healthy for uh, a kid to, to generally take guidance and instruction initially from their parents or their close caregivers to pass down the knowledge that they need, right? To pass down the, 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 the teachings that they need or essentially to, to, to raise them, right? And you don't want to be raised by someone who's outside of your group or in a different species even, say, in nature, right? So there's this resistance to that. And what, what happens, though, is that we, we, if we don't take our counter will onto or, or shift it, as you would say, onto elders, where we start to look to them for guidance rather than just the traditional role of the state, as you might say, then we're going to get caught in this ambivalent state where we don't know where to turn. And so we just become rebellious teenagers. And that's, what, that's a lot of what I'm seeing happening online, right? I'm seeing a lot of almost rebellious teenagers and, and part of what's been, been unfairly characterized, I think, of people who are quote unquote anti-vaxxers is that they're part of that group because they're not listening to the parents and they're not listening to anybody else. Where are your elders kind of thing, right? Hmm. You're just kind of doing your own thing rather than having an intelligent tuning into eldership and having the courage to be in that state of not knowing of, hmm. of, of, of uncertainty and say, well, I'm going to actually really question and listen to both sides. Who knows? Maybe we'll see in six months vaccinations is the right thing to do. Or maybe we'll see that there's other approaches that we need to take. Or maybe the way in which that we address the challenge of trying to galvanize people towards a shared response to a health crisis means that we have to allow and create opportunities for divergence or different health practices or viewpoints to have the best outcome for the whole. That may be true. Like we don't know, right? Mm -hmm. So why not keep inquiring into it and doing the best we can? You know, you, you made me just remember as well, he said uh, something along the lines of like the willingness to, to hold, uh, I, mean, I'm not, I don't think he called it centrist, but, but the central position in the face of extremes, he's like, is an actual courageous position. 
it is. Yeah, which I thought was really interesting rather than seeing it as a kind of like, you know, uh, re refusal to take a position, but it's actually in a time of deep polarization to hold that line is is a position that is courageous. And I, I, yeah, I appreciate that. He spoke to the need in order to do that, there has to be an exacting attention to detail. Mm. Okay. And less focused on the answer, but curiosity as to really what's happening in the present moment. Because the certainty is always projecting into the future, but wisdom is found in the now. By really looking at what's really happening, what's really going on, on many spheres, we gain wisdom from the moment. That's the spirit work that helps us to respond with wisdom in the next moment, right? And that's harder to do, though, right? That is an exacting, it is an exacting task. Hmm. One of the other threads I, I was really appreciative of was, I mean, looking again at what is what is the spirit work or what is the the, the, the great forgetting right, that has gone on. Um, you know, he invoked the story of Beowulf and the, the sort of loss of, or the lack of hospitality that's been extended to the world. Um, you know, I, I think characterized it a little more as a sort of modern industrial society had um, forgotten its sort of sacred reciprocity with the world. And that was characterized or captured within this old Norse story where the Beowulf monster was, um, you know, at the door where the humans inside of their hall were, you know, feasting and making merry. And yet the world wasn't allowed in that, that reciprocity wasn't allowed. And it was only through that continual um, lack of reciprocity that it monstered the monster. Well, actually, I don't know if I heard that same thing from Stephen, to be honest. I, I think he said to be aware that Grendel was still Grendel. I mean, the beast was in him, but he, he came wanting to be included and he was pawing initially at the door, just pawing at the door. He could have burst his way in and made a big scene and slaughtered everybody, which ends up happening later in the story. But in the beginning, he doesn't come in that way. He's like, I want to be, I want to partake and enjoy in what you're doing, what you're participating in. Yeah. Right? Uh, and that, evo that rejection that he felt evoked the monster that was latent. But yeah. it's. Well, this, this to me, though, is the line of, of, of the understanding that. Uh, essentially what monster is a monster, right? Is it the fact they're just monsters and, and you know, we got to be beware um, or is it, there, is there a consequence or is there an active, I think he made the same uh, connection to demonizing, right? Or I've heard him in a, in a, I think in a different talk invoke that in an old understanding was that an angel and a demon are the same thing. They're the same being. And yet one brings welcome news and the other unwelcome news. And that's how we actually differentiate between them. But in fact, they're both bringers of news. It's just the one that we don't want to hear. We call them the demon um, and the other, the angel. So in the same way um, that the, the world itself has now become more monstrous to us, in this case, this you know, slumbering beast uh, towards Bethlehem, as we opened you know, with the, the poem by Yeats, um, yes. which, which seemed, I love what he said there too. He said, he called it, oh, interesting. That was a, felt like a get well card to the 21st century from the past about this very moment. Totally. Yeah, there was this line that really struck out to me, actually, I queued it up here, which has been, I've been feeling it a lot. It says, uh, the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Mm. That's a dangerous time to be in. When the best, the, the ones who are really committed to, 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 seeking, the tr to seeking truth and harmony and, and, and human progress and understanding and reconciliation in their hearts, right? lack the conviction to own it and speak it while the worst have passionate intensity right yeah 
this is and like he said, this is this is sort of the the flaccid democracy that we've inherited that we have now. So either we're going to, you know, trim the fat, right, and mm. start getting to the crux again. And I think this is something that he 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 struck me with saying, you know, your generation is looking at our generation with these glaring eyes, admonishing us for the things that we didn't do and the work that we didn't do for you, but the generation beneath you, they're not looking at us. They're looking at you guys. So who are you going to be? You know, what are you going to do? And, and that does put, it puts an onus on us, right? To ask that question because we have to help resuscitate and reinvigorate the foundations of our culture and our society and democracy in this time. That's the labor. That's the work that we do. Our spirit work that is not, as he said, able to just be inherited by the next generation because they have to do the work themselves. But what they will have is the example of the work having been done. Mm -hmm. And that is empowering. That's encouraging because you hear the echoes of that work. Right. And, you know, when we really give thanks to our ancestors as people like I'm wearing a turban today and um, part, of my, part of my ancestry is Sikh. And when I look at the work that has been done on behalf of that lineage, I can see that I still have to claim it and work it now, but I can be grateful for it. Right. Mm. So it does matter. Right. It does give you something. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, my, my thoughts went in a number of directions there. I mean, I really, I really am with that question too. What is the spirit work of the time? Right. What is the spirit work of our generation? Because in many ways, the, the calamity that is modern industrial civilization has never been more clear. Right. In the previous, I mean, when I was a kid, if we're just talking about, say, you know, climate change and the biospheric destruction, it was still a bit of a vague, you know, kind of uh, rumbling the distance. You know, the alarms were starting to go off um, to now where it's very clear that the climate is destabilized. You know, we had a heat wave in the place where I'm at, unprecedented um, um, temperatures never before seen in this area. Um, and, you know, deluges of rain elsewhere. And, all these places. And so it's kind of like the, the system is, is becoming more chaotic. And within that, you know, my question I try to return to is this sort of this distillation or this wondering to orbit is what is worth doing in this time? Like you said, because, to, you know, to elder is a function that is deeply related to its time. It's not the same. Eldering is not the same in every, in every time. And this is something he's spoken to a lot as well in the school. Um, and that and I think in a similar fashion, right? The spirit work isn't isn't absolutely, I don't think, the same as it is in other generations when you know their task may have been perhaps more clear. Where now, you know, what is the task? Is it to simply, as you say, um, undergird the 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 de democratic foundations, you know, but also allow the system to basically run off the cliff as it's been doing and and you know take the future from the generations to come. Is it to get in the way to throw ourselves in the gears as many are doing in places like Ferry Creek, you know, to try to like slow down uh, the destruction? Like, is that actually the core of the spirit work? I mean, obviously not everybody's work is the same, but perhaps it's true to the same understanding of actually what, what is worth doing in this deeply troubled time. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I have a sense that if you were to ask that question to Stephen, he would throw it back on you. Right? and say, okay, I'm not going to give you the answer to that, but I'm going to invite you to go really know what, what does it mean to be undone by your question? And uh, I think that's a deep, that's a deep one for, for, for many of us. It's easy to, 
they get excited by, you know, our, our vision and anticipation of this is who I am and this is my work. What I hear him saying is that your work is to actually be fully present and awake and intelligent and curious to the, what's happening now in your life at this moment right. and yep. what's happening around you and taking it in, taking it in. Because what I felt from Stephen is when someone comes at you with having done a lot of the chewing of the fat, having digested a lot of stuff, and then they give it back to you like, oh, somebody's really taken a lot of things in that I didn't see or I didn't think about. Right? And so we have to do we have to do that right now. I think this this COVID um, is giving us a chance. It's given us a chance. It's I feel it stirring and rumbling the slumbers of the masses of people. And the danger, the beautiful thing is that when you hear a roaring thunder in the distance, right, you can feel it reverberating and it kind of wakes you up and you pay attention to your surroundings. And we do need to wake up. We need to wake up to a lot of things. The danger is, you know, I heard this metaphor the other day that, you know, when you have a group of ants together, a, a, a white ant and a, a black ant and a red ant, that they all actually just go on their own way, cross their lines, coexist and do their thing. But if you take a bunch of them and put them in a jar and you shake up the jar, they're going to think that each other was the cause of the tremor and the upset. So they start attacking each other. Mm. So it's when the jar is getting shook and we don't focus on who's shaking the jar or shaking, we're shaking it ourselves, however you want to look at it. We get distracted from the spirit work because we're all just fighting amongst each other. And he's saying that that's the ugliness of the climate that we're in right now. It's mm -hmm. rabid, right? With just people hot with religiosity and prejudice. And, and we have to be careful not to get mm -hmm. sucked into that. Otherwise, we'll ignore the real work that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for that. It's, it's a powerful image. I, uh, you know, I, I was struck near the end, I think, of the conversation when, you know, he, on the one hand, he, he sort of put forth, what does it mean to be sort of radical citizen of this time and to, to proceed with village mindedness of, you know, the extending the care of one's own consequence, right? One's own consequence on the health of another um, based on your choices, right? That's a, sort of a radical understanding of freedom. Um, and at the same time, you know, sort of true to his unwillingness to be prescriptive. Uh, he, he also seemed to say that, you know, the, to beware the consequence of one portion of the population willing to throw the other portion under the bus in the name of, well, you just don't get it. You know, you're not with the program and, you know, uh, happy to cut you out because onward we go, you know, with, with the, our idea of, of what the future should be and, and the future we're serving. Um, there seemed to be a, a warning in there as in like that has a deeper consequence than simply what I see. And I'm, now I'm talking about sort of a provac side of saying, you know, labeling the other side of saying, oh, they just don't get it. Um, we got to move on, you know, cut them out. And then, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like there's something, there's something actually deeply consequential about the mm -hmm. willingness to do that, despite whatever the context is for the moment. Well, he also cautioned the other side, which he said, you know, freedom is actually not freedom from your responsibility to another, which is what many vaccinated people are saying is like, listen, you're saying it's freedom. No freedom. Our rights and freedoms are born out of our responsibilities to one another. And, and, 
and and the, a lot of people are saying, well, if you're anti-vax, then what you're doing is you're actually taking this, twisting this notion of freedom where you're not actually responsible for another, right? Now, I'm not going either way, either side, but we should really be aware of where are we claiming our stance of freedom from? That's what's mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. And ask it deeply. Because if we do, we'll make the, a wise choice, right? Will we be tolerant of that? Mm -hmm. Now I feel more than ever before, we, we really need, we really need this coming together where that discrimination is not practiced amongst the people, mm. right? I mean, if it's, it's been the age old story of colonization of divide and conquer, but if the people won't be divided, they will not be conquered, right? Mm. So it's easy if the, the camps get really strong and we start allowing uh, po social political forces and laws to come into effect that actually deepen the divide and force them apart, even in terms of socioeconomic interaction, then that's the way in which colonization can take place. So people have to stand together and say, no, we will not be done because it's such a false, such a small thing that's been blown up so huge to create division. Mm. By a small thing, what do you refer to? Well, whether you get a vaccination or not. Uh, well, depending on who you're talking to, it's a very big thing. Sure. But if you think about the real big differences, the things that really matter in life, we can be so aligned in so many ways. He says it's dangerous to paint. Well, because you got the vaccine, you believe these things. And because you didn't get the vaccine, you don't, you believe all these things. He said people mm. are not simplistic like that. He says, I have very, I, I, he says, millions of people have been vaccinated. I have very little in common with any of them and probably any of their beliefs. Right. Mm. And you can say that across the board. So we have to be mindful of that. Mm. This is really, it's interesting you bring that up actually, because I, you know, again, I like that clear uh, articulation that in some ways that has been the, the most, you know, in, in past, let's, less so in Canada, I think, but more so in the US, maybe other places. Oftentimes in conversation, right, people will say, uh, they'll come up pretty, pretty quickly, you know, what, what political slant are you? Right. Oh, are you a Democrat or a Republican? Um, somewhere, you know, that'll kind of like surface because that became, I think, usually the first line of, okay, you know, who's teaming you on? Uh, more so again in the US, I think. Canada, maybe less so much, but now it feels like the whether you're vaxxed or not is the first line of who's teaming you on. As in, that's how, that's how ubiquitous it's become. And it's very interesting to think about, like you just said, that that's the thing now that has become the main line of, of the, then, you know, we talked about lines with Steve. It's like, that's how I think it was the Romans initially, you know, drew the line against the pagans to say, well, they're not us. Um, and so just that as a phenomenon is very uh, important, I think, to pay attention to um, beyond simply, well, that's the science and, you know, the, that's what it says. So we got to do it. It's just, there's, it's more than that. And perhaps that even links a little to what Charles had said in, you know, the first conversation. Of, of, of inciting of, of that mob mentality um, response. Like there's deeper forces at work that we just have to be very alert to exactly. uh, and not, not pretend that are just sort of, you know, it's an easy decision. There we go. Exactly. And that because they're subconscious, unconscious forces, right? Mm. And we don't recognize that the line is being drawn for us through subtle environmental cues, through things that we read, through conversations that we have, the lines get formed in our minds. And that is what creates 
those distinctions to the where we're willing to tolerate things that normally we wouldn't because little bit by little bit by little bit it has been etched and it has been etched until it has been etched right mm -hmm. it's it's important for us to be able to see that i was just thinking today i was um getting acupuncture and um he used a like a tens unit it's an electrical stimulator so you connect it to the 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 needle points and it stimulates your muscles right and it creates like a twitch response now mm -hmm. If you, in the beginning, it's quite sensitive, right? But then after a while it dies down so you can turn it up even more and then you picks up again, you feel it. But then you kind of just get used to that and then you got to turn it up even more again, right? So that's how it is with the signals that we get from how our mind, how our brain works. We get them within our bodies through pleasure. And as a yogi, I'm very interested in this and how our mind is conditioned through our body and so forth. But even in society, these little signals are coming and initially we're like, wait, I don't know, something doesn't feel right about that. But then it's just, that's now the new hum and then another one uh, and then it becomes a new hum. So we got to be careful to what signal we're tuning into because we are getting entrained to signals. Mm. You know? Well, well, perhaps we uh, close our conversation there um, as we also give a little nod to our next guest who's coming uh, next week, Pat McCabe, indigenous grandmother, um, profound, wisdom holder and uh yeah very excited and curious to bring her on next to the series next in the series and uh and see what she has to say about this moment this pandemic wonderful well i look forward to seeing all or any of you then mm. and uh for those who are watching this is the link to go check out a gathering of stories.com slash pandemic and uh, you can look at the previous uh, conversations we've had with, with charles elizabeth stephen there's recaps as well that we've been doing like this, um, which you can access on our YouTube. And um, we'll be also be releasing a lot of outtakes along the way from the different conversations just to try to distill, again, some of the some of the gems we've had. And those can be really great to share. Um, and if you're already tuned into the series, would love if you could help us spread the word to, you know, your networks, your family, uh, your people. Because, you know, this is really meant to be as accessible as possible, that no matter where someone sits on this um, you know, this, this moment that they can still access this in a way that doesn't feel immediately um, dismissive or, or um, yeah, that really, you know, in, is a, is a fire that we can all sit around together. Absolutely. Okay. Zamir, always a pleasure. Bye. Onward.